A shift in the hierarchy of the DC universe. In honor of Black Adam, what was previously the biggest time when the hierarchy of power in the DC universe <laughs> changed? I'm Katie Rich, and here's the thing. So I remember there being Holly Hunter and this thing of tea, and I can't remember if it was implied that the tea was pee or if that was a 30 Rock joke about sun tea that I then associated with this thing of tea in that movie, which I think was Batman versus Superman, but I can't be sure. Uh, and then I think it turned into a bomb. Some it, the building definitely blew up, and Holly Hunter blew <laughs> okay. up. Katie, slow down. Uh, it is. It is sweet tea. Uh, sweet it's peach is it? Tea, right? It's sweet grandma's, peach tea. It's grandma's grandma's peach tea. tea. <laughs> yes, and it is piss. Yes, it is actually yeah. pee pee. And then a different okay. bomb goes off. It is not the oh, actual bomb. bomb. What's sad it is a sign that the bomb that is coming. Is that Everyone thinks that Lex Luthor is just playing a joke, but it turns out that his grandmother just had a really awful recipe for peach tea. <laughs> That's right. Wait, who was the villain who did it in this case? Lex, Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor. Jesse Eisenberg's iconic. Wow. Character. So was this Batman versus Superman or was this Man of Steel? Well, can you it use the Batman full title when you say it? <laughs> Dawn, Dawn of Justice. justice. <laughs> um, so Justice Dawn, did I think the hierarchy of the DC, the hierarchy of power in the DC universe changed that day? Yeah, mm. it did. It surely <laughs> did. Everybody so thought Superman words. blew some people up. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I could top that. But uh, I'm Matt Patches, <laughs> and while I should be defending the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie in this lightning round, I'm going to say. Oh, when Megan Fox said Jonah Hex in the acclaimed DC live action film Jonah Hex. Wait, but how did the power change in that moment? Mm. I mean, she got all the power. Do I need to Think. explain? <laughs> no, no, screen it's explanatory. Hey, it's me, David the Seven, and I'm picking Jack Nicholson as the Joker in 1989 because that's a version of the Joker that killed Batman's parents. Didn't they all? No. Oh, they all did. No, it's Joe Chill. This yeah, is Joe, Joe Chill. Chill erasure. Who who killed them in uh, the new one? Didn't did Colin Farrell kill them in the new ones? They get they get into Batman's parents in the Batman. They don't. Really? I don't think they do. Wait. Oh my god. His dad is important because his dad was kind his of a scumbag. His dad's like a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Well, wait. Anyway, did, it's uh, not the Joker. Oh God. Anyway, uh, the, the premise of the question was the shift in the hierarchy of power <laughs> and the Joker killing lightning. Batman's parents during the summer of Batman. Yes, this is one lightning round we got here. <laughs> um, and I am David Olick, and I'm going to go with the moment when Colin Farrell was cast as the Penguin, thus mm -hmm. becoming the most powerful character in uh the entire DC universe and possibly all movies. Uh, mm -hmm. Entire universe. And, yeah. uh, and that was that. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Finding in the War Room 411 Pandemic 141. I like how these numbers are like lining up in weird <laughs> ways. And one beautiful mind over here. Uh, it's the week of Wednesday, October 19th. Happy birthday, David. And that is the day that in 1975, a oh, course wow. line period on Broadway. David, hey. did you know that? No, but I, I like that you're centering the entire week around the Wednesday just because it happens to be my birthday. It's very kind. No, it's every literally every week. It's 
Are you serious? Can we do that right we now, do that every Wednesday. I always thought that we just what did the, the, hell? the week of Sunday or Monday. I don't pay attention to that part of the show. David has just uh, learned our podcast comes out on Wednesdays. Our podcast comes it's out typically often on often. several <laughs> different days. And that is true. That's true. Look, no one's getting paid for this. Our podcast comes out once a week. That's all you need to know. That's yeah. true. Mostly. And that hasn't always been true, but it is now. Yeah. I know that much. <laughs> Uh, but more importantly, happy birthday, David. I hope you're thank spending you, it you. Uh, in youthful ways because, uh, you know, we're just so young right now. Uh, I, shout out to Netflix, who I, I talk a lot of shit about, but uh, respect for, for having the good sense to release the new season of Love is Blind on my birthday. Uh, it's called playing <laughs> to your audience. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, so I'll be doing that tomorrow. Uh, well, David, I'm throwing it right back to you. Do we have reviews? uh we do indeed i know that I, and we can't go into specifics one because i don't know what they are and two because it's against the rules but i am aware there was some new development in the star wars galaxy of heroes universe that dave was tweeting about recently uh but i guess we're gonna have to wait a little while to hear about what that is uh <laughs> we have three reviews uh the first is from eduardo the man who gives us two stars we read that one last week Great, because it was not nice. <laughs> on a Wednesday. Uh, I, I only remember that one because he does not like anyone but Katie. Oh, no, yeah. and you know what? He's a man of taste, but uh, <laughs> we don't need to. We don't need to revisit his words. Sandy Westman, did you read this one review last week? Uh, Five stars, but... unmatched in general vibes. Weren't you here? Oh, you were I here, so. David. I was not no, here. No, Dave, David was not here last David week. Was oh, not here. Yeah, so we did. So we only old. have. Okay, okay. We only All have right. the Ellen S. 2000 okay, great. Uh, review. Uh, I just want to say, in <laughs> reference to Sandy Weston, general vibes would make a great Star Wars character. <laughs> I would love I would love to be playing general vibes on the holodecks. Uh, and and this is not Galaxy of Heroes no. backdoor. I mean, whatever. Segment. You could say that uh, general vibes could appear in Andor if that makes you happy. I don't care. <laughs> Here, they are, so, are somewhere. Um LNS2000 says, five stars. This is my last time trying to write this review. I STG, which I am assuming in my advanced uh, brain, means swear to God. Uh, I I don't think I've ever seen that particular uh, acronym before. Um, Hi, gang. Sorry if this is the third time you've read this review. I don't think it is LNS2000. I think you've, you've broken through and it's all happening right now. I tried emailing, which if you do somehow see, please ignore, and then tried updating my previous review. But I honestly can't tell you if there's any record of that. Sorry if I look insane if you did receive this three times. I'm, I'm sorry to Ellen that we've made her feel insane. No, I also, I know that feeling so well when you are like sending another email and you aren't aware that the previous email also sent is the worst. Uh, so here we go. Hope third time's the charm. Been listening for years and it's always wildly entertaining and informative. Always really a lot of episodes. That can't be true. I wrote in once last year when you were reviewing OMITB. OMITB on... Majesty's oh, inter oh. tubular. Oh, oh, am I? T- this is right. <laughs> oh, am this I is something T- we reviewed. <laughs> and my... Only murders in the building. Only murders in the building. And I talked about the weirdness of a TV show being shot in your neighborhood. Oh yes, oh, we, I remember. We, we did. We did, uh, we did read the review about the the person in the upper, I guess the Upper East Side is uh, writing about only murders in the building. Anyway, uh, I digress because I have news you guys need to hear. 
Poor little unsuspecting me was taking the train to work, got off, and was faced with a very strange, broken-looking subway announcement board with lots of numbers and symbols that I soon realized also said quantum leap in the middle of it. Then an announcement comes on that says, hey, New Yorkers, I know you're all in a rush to get home, which was weird because it was 8.30 a.m., but don't run on the platform. And then he says, check out Quantum Leap on Peacock, and they play the NBC (laughs) jingle? Needless to say, I was floored and angered by this. Is this even legal? Do they expect anyone to watch the show? What if I was a confused old lady or a tourist and I didn't know what was going on? I know guerrilla advertising can be intense. was reminded of those hands in the subway grates that The Walking Dead did years ago. Scary. But oh my God, I'm mad. I thought you all needed to know about this and would love to know your thoughts. Uh, LNS2000. Shit's wild in Eric Adams, New York, is all I can say. <laughs> um, that is uh, wild. I, you know, at first I thought you were saying that the voice was uh, one of like the announcement voices that you can hear in the subway train, it's, uh, in the subway car itself. It's like, watch the closing doors. And it's like, and now we're going backwards in time, which that would have been, uh, I think, especially alarming. It's like a real um, Russian doll uh, kind of moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I wish I had a visual aid here because I wonder how much the Quantum Leap ad looked like. Wait, so you have not heard this? Subway I have not heard this. I haven't seen uh, you have going up the ACE after coming on the train from from Jersey. I I've heard this in just waiting for the train on the platform. Uh, well, yeah, there are I mean, so much I louder not, ads. Uh, I do before. not leave my apartment without giant Bose headphones on over my head. So uh, I'm not hearing a lot of things. Uh, I'm too we're, busy listening to other podcasts, but. The New York City um, subway is getting further and further away from Japan and like just pumping beautiful, nice chimes into the spaces. Uh, yeah, we're, we're not doing a good job. Uh, going into ads instead. That feels like, yeah, that feels like a bad turn. Mm. Uh, I was like, I was just thinking about how in with all deference to old ladies and tourists, like on in New York, if you're there on a weekend and suddenly the B train turns into the D with no warning and skips eight of the stops you thought it was going to be and drops you in Queens, that happens okay. all the time. You, I feel like quantum leap ads are maybe not the real problem. I New York for North Carolina. Are you saying that doesn't still happen? I'm certain that still happens. I am certain that still happens. This is Katie's why I left New York essay. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, we're getting it. <laughs> the time that I ran up at Far Rockaway. <laughs> we've replaced the entire New York City subway line with uh, hyper trains. Elon Musk hyper <laughs> trains. Hyper and, uh, they hyper come loop. every 30 seconds now and yep. are never late. And mm-hmm. uh, it's basically a utopia here. It's that GIF yeah. or that GIF. It's just that image of, uh, you know, the, this could be the future, whatever that meme was going around last year, year before, of like the utopian city in the future. It's basically the, the one just of that. The, the, the millennials in the 90s playing video games. And about no, the, that's the, a lot more nostalgia recent, yeah. we have. Boy. <laughs> Should we talk about that as a segment on this? Uh, do we have yeah. to? Well, I have good news maybe as a means about wrapping up. Uh, Ellen, we received <laughs> your email at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com where you could send your reviews or anything you want. I was saving it so that we wouldn't have to talk about Star Wars some week that we didn't get an iTunes review. But guess what? You uh, went back and were persistent and you put the review in the place where it's going to help the most people. So thank you for uh, getting it on the podcast app. But we absolutely had the Quantum Leap uh, subway story on deck through email. So Wait, if you want to help out the podcast, yeah, go, oh, go on. If you want to help out the podcast, <laughs> go into the Apple Podcasts app and leave Fighting a War Room a review there. It'll help us increase our metrics 
if you're out of the country, if you don't live in the U.S., if you don't know what the NBC jingle on the R line even means, you could still email your thoughts to fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. I have two I have two very important announcements, one far more important than the other, that I do think our listeners need to hear. Uh, the okay. first is a little bonus treat that I just, as we are recording this right now, this is like an hour or two, or a couple hours after the Black Adam embargo has gone up. And uh, <laughs> I am never on Facebook, but I just happened to pull it up because sometimes I have a chat open with my wife. And I just saw... I find uh, that to be the strangest possible I know, it's reason very to weird. use Facebook. But... I mean, we usually use, just use it on the app on my phone, but whatever. I have the, the window up here and I just got a message. Uh, it, it, it is tantamount to a review of the podcast. It's at least a review of me. It's from a reader uh, or a reader, a reader of mine, I guess, uh, whose name I'm not going to mention, but they're, uh, um, I, I think people just might want to hear this. Uh, <laughs> this is rare Facebook feedback. Uh, you're a hack. I read your review of Black <laughs> Adam. Can't you keep Marvel out of your mouth while reviewing a DC film? How much do you get paid to suck Marvel off every chance you get? I'm sick of people like you pretending like you're unbiased, trashing films before they even come this out. This is a preview for next post week. crap like The Last Jedi is a best, best picture contender. Is it still a best picture contender? That would rule, by the way. Uh, you've either <laughs> lost your fucking mind or you're paid off. Either way, you're a fucking hack and I hate your work. Now, this mm. is a lead into a very different bit of Facebook context and Facebook feedback that Katie Rich, I think in particular, is going to want to hear. Uh, last year, uh, in my annual rundown of the songs nominated for Best Original Song at the Oscars, uh, I had to do my solemn and, and and sad duty of giving an annual trashing to Diane Warren's latest opus. Uh-huh. It's like, if it, I stand it, or I'll rise or stand, uh, I rise, and etc. cetera. Uh, there and, you, no, that's not there you'll be. Uh, Somehow you do, I think it's yeah. what it's called. And uh, I saw shortly after that article went up last year that Diane Warren sent me a Facebook message that I have been too afraid to look at for <gasps> now almost an entire calendar year. To Are you going to read it to us right now? About it. You should read it and right I, now. I, I, it patches. I'm, oh, we'll, we'll get there. I, uh, I, I had put it off for so long that I had truly forgotten about it. And only now reading this... Uh, kind readers feedback to my Black Adam review. Did I see the message in full just under it? Uh, because I pulled up like the inbox and meta that now shows all these various messages. And uh, I have read it and I it comes from Christmas Eve, 2021. Diane Warren oh, wow. says, thanks THNX. Thanks for the kind words, exclamation point, And then the smiley face with the tongue sticking out. Uh, that's it. <laughs> Uh, I want to. I want to. I want to really give some some love to Diane Warren, a very rich woman who uh, does not need to bother really suffering fools, and I think uh, you know took 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 that in the right spirit. So she good seems on you, to Diane have Warren. always had a sense of humor, uh, including uh, going to the theater at the Academy Museum where you get to record a video of yourself accepting an Oscar, and which she famously has oh, never won one. Iconic. Uh, uh, and now she's getting an honorary Oscar. So uh, all that good humor paid off. So good for you, Diane Warren. Uh, yeah, a rare, <laughs> rare shout out to Diane Warren uh, and to all of our <laughs> listeners. Go on iTunes and Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. We'll read it live on the show. Uh, that offer does not extend to any further Facebook feedback I get about my Black Adam review. But come at, come at us on iTunes. I feel like I should piggyback off Diane Warren and shout out Film Fest 919 kicking off in Chapel Hill, North Carolina right now as you listen to this. I don't get paid by them. I just love that it exists. So if you hear this and somehow you don't know about it, go to filmfest919.com and come see some movies with me. There's really good stuff. Glass Onion's coming. I get to see Glass Onion on Sunday. You could do it with me. 
very exciting. I promise I didn't pay for this. You definitely didn't. If you don't review, we're just going to plug our own shit. It's not even mine. I just like it. This is the closest thing we have to an ad. You the calling man, you send you up. Freezing calling, nights and nine twos up. All right. All right, for our, our opening segment here, we're going to talk about a show that just wrapped up on Disney+. Plus. It's called She-Hulk. She-Hulk. Attorney at Law. And uh, I, I wanted to start by saying, hey, was anyone else on the front page of the conservative subreddit today for writing about <laughs> She-Hulk? Because I was, and oh, boy, no. howdy. Um I, you know, which conservative subreddit are we talking here? Uh, we're talking our about conservative, our conservative, oh, our, uh, which has a million. One, like, is that a Trumpy one or is that like a, a weird original conservative one? Uh, I would say it's skewing more mega, but maybe not 8chan levels of uh, festering. <laughs> um, but when I navigated there to wonder why uh, a, a story I wrote, an interview I did with uh, director Kate. Koiro, who directed um, Marry Me earlier this year, which we talked about mm, on the podcast. Classic. She is one of the main directors on She-Hulk. Talked to her last week and ran a story this week. Uh, and, and I was wondering why this was popping on the conservative Reddit. I, I navigated to that page. And boy, it's just, it's, it's scummy. It's, uh, if you want some bad vibes before the midterms, highly recommend going over there. But why was this article on there? Because I talked to her about this kind of fascinating show in the in the grand scheme of Marvel where even these Marvel Disney Plus experiments have been very spectacle driven Falcon the Winter Soldier felt like a big Marvel movie chopped to bits and Moon Knight for all its kind of internal character work was still about a guy named Moon Knight who was summoning <laughs> Egyptian spirits and going into the afterlife and fighting villains and that sort of thing big Ethan Hawke finale um this show is a bit more down to earth, true to the comics. Uh, she Hulk Jennifer Walters is a wannabe lawyer and trying to get her career together. She also just happens to have Hulk powers and is able to smash, but she, really she wants to be a lawyer. And the show is pretty much about that. Tatiana Maslany plays Jennifer uh, as both mo capped She Hulk, uh, which everyone wants her to be. Everyone likes when she's in She Hulk form because she seems cool. And she just seems not cool as a just normal human Jennifer Walters, which creates a lot of uh, strife for her as she both gets her her life together, her personal life. She's looking for romance. She's looking for love. She's looking for sex. And she's looking for human connection. She's also just looking for professional standing at her. Wait, does, uh, does she hold fuck? Yeah, she hold does fuck. So this is where I got onto conservative Reddit because I talked to. Oh uh, <laughs> yeah, I talked to Cat about. Oh, wow, you made a show where there's sex scenes. There's like, Jennifer is hooking up with Daredevil, for instance. The is Daredevil makes an appearance on the show long awaited. She is no. not. She has, yeah. uh, she That's definitely hooks exciting. up with some guys she meets on. Uh, no, she she does hook up in She-Hulk form a little bit. Um, but she also, part of the show's arc for her is like, I just want someone to love me when I'm I'm normal Jennifer. And Daredevil, Matt Murdock played once again by Charlie Cox, uh, does fall in love, and they have this hookup scene, and it's it's not like a graphic sex scene, but it's a kind of classic rom-com, like, 
we're smooching, we're falling into bed, all of our clothes on the ground, and in this case, clothing is Daredevil's helmet and baton and She-Hulk's, like, jumpsuit and shit. Uh, very comic booky and fun. Uh, but the, the, the weird quote that I got from Cat about this, and I think this does sum up the show in a way, but is getting misinterpreted by people who genuinely use the earnestly use the word groomers uh is she told me that she wanted to we wanted to make it realistic about a woman navigating sex but also make it something that everybody can enjoy including children because there's an element of this show that is really fun for young people and you could imagine how that kind of got twisted because she talks a lot in her interview about this show is about sex positivity. It's about being an independent lady. Um, and it's taken some flack for its kind of thin girl boss <laughs> tone. Uh, it's not quite the scene from Endgame where all the female characters get in one frame and run together and go, hiya! Um, but it's not the deepest uh, exploration of, of womanhood, perhaps. But it is a Marvel thing that actually has a woman at the center who has a life and is dimensional and i've really enjoyed it for that reason i get what kat is saying when she's like it's still corny and and fun you can imagine younger audiences who dig marvel still being able to watch this show it just also has this kind of sex positive i mean she says like hulk smash and she means smashing daredevil in the bedroom um that is the kind of level this funny the show it is actually it's a lot funnier when she no, says like it that, not me that, uh, no i mean i i, I how that, that sounded sarcastic but uh i, I was just thinking it's just coming out of your mouth my, i understand the way that my two-year-old goes that's funny <laughs> instead of laughing <laughs> <laughs> um but like there's been some memes out there of tatiana maslani like post hookups just giggling and and people loving how horny the show is but it's also a show with like she fights a evil magician and the abomination is there being a self-help guru um, but it's not and, and Tim it's Roth, silly it is Tim Roth. Oh my god! <laughs> and he's great. And he's delightful. Um, so now him. I went over the floor because we have not David Dave you've watched She-Hulk but we have not convinced Katie or David to to watch She-Hulk, and I feel like once we tried with Katie, and she's like, "Absolutely not! I hate women, and I will not watch the show about <laughs> strong, independent insane. ladies." Unlike she's a Katie. groomer, and the show is grooming. Yeah, grooming. Yeah. On my on my favorite Reddit, I was told uh, to stay away from as a, as a mother of young boys. I do not want him watching She-Hulk. Not for children. Uh, no, you guys telling me that it's like. I mean, maybe that's what you guys saw me about the general consensus being like, this is the Marvel show to watch. And which is weird because like I watch all of WandaVision and Loki like a lot of people did because they were the new ones. But ever since then, I've just been like, I got other things to do. Like, is it like better than like all the other TV that I'm supposed to be watching? Or is it just like a good Marvel thing? Is all the TV you're watching like repeats of 30 Rock still? Or are you watching new shows? No, honestly, I mean, like I even fell behind on House of the Dragon because I like couldn't keep up with it. So my TV diet has been incredibly limited. Here's um, where I would say part to, of it. Yeah, yeah, what I would say to you uh, with She-Hulk then, it is Marvel's first situation comedy, meaning under half an hour, meaning each episode is going to have a little thing she has to deal with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's a plot line that runs through all of it that is very Marvel-y, but in the final episode, they reiterate that does not matter at all. Well, I do want to hear more about that final episode. Yeah, we'll talk spoilers we'll here in a second. There. But I would actually recommend that you and David, if you decide to jump into She-Hulk, perhaps skip episode one, which is not, it's Mm. like how Jennifer gets her powers, and it's a long thing with Bruce Banner, with Mark Ruffalo back as as Hulk, uh, just talking about being a Hulk and hulking out and doing Hulk stuff. 
skip that part. Just get to the part where she's at a law firm trying to I mean, be a I'm uh, gonna, superhero I'm lawyer for superheroes. I'm going to make something yes. uh, unsurprising, uh, very clear <laughs> here, which is that uh, I'm never not ever watching. going to watch this show. Oh, come on! Um, but uh, there is no paternity leave long enough for what my forthcoming child is born to to put this on the menu for me. But uh, that does not mean that I'm uninterested in hearing about some of the the wild and more self-reflexive twists uh, that were met with some controversy. I remember people, some of the people I know being very excited about the final episode and how uh, it, you know, deep down the, the rabbit hole it went um, and others feeling like it was patronizing and trying to have its cake and eat it too. Uh, I only heard the details hmm. because I guess now the show's over there may not be much need for a spoiler warning. Do you guys want to unpack a little bit of what happened and why yeah, people might think that I, 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 have, a, sort of I have a way Marvel of maybe unpacking it might that, be that like, yeah, that kind oh, of wait. will. Dave, before you, before you unpack it, because I will throw to you here, but one thing to preface it with is that traditionally in the comics for decades, She-Hulk has been a fourth wall breaking character. She, she does not she play by the, the rules wall? of the Marvel Universe. She smashes the fourth wall open and she talks to us, which is interesting because I feel like there's this trend right now where, like, lucky female characters have to talk to the audience directly to communicate anything. Is this is this like the post fleabag? Everything is fleabag. Am I am I everything crazy here? It's like is everything. Did Ally McBeal? Well, like oh, early sex, yeah. early sex in the city. She talked to the camera. Did Ally McBeal talk to the camera? I don't think I don't think I can credit this to fleabag. I think you might be right. Everything. But uh, anyway. People might think I've it's heard a flea bag compared thing. to Ally McBeal in particular. Yes. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. But it's it's a thing from the comic. So Dave, she breaks the fourth wall throughout the series in, in very cheeky ways. I was going to ways, start but, with the yeah. comics, where it's like in a uh, John Byrne written issue that came out in the early 90s, She-Hulk goes to the Marvel offices to find John Byrne and is like, why are you not spending more time on me? Why are there so many goddamn X-Men books? And things like that, <laughs> which are all very real uh, things that were happening to Marvel at the time. And She-Hulk got to comment on it. There's also periods of time in the comics where, like, if she needs to get to work and she's running late, she'll just jump in between the windows of the comic panel instead of traveling a distance in a fake world. So there's stuff like that that exists uh, for She-Hulk. And they decided to, for the final episode of the series, adapt things like that pretty uh faithfully just update it to the marvel cinematic universe and disney plus so the finale starts and jen seems very confused that she's being punished for a normal reaction that happened at the end of the previous episode and then as she's trying to like decompress and figure shit out things keep compiling and compiling to a point where she finds herself in like a meeting of incels that are out to get her and the head incel like injects himself Been with there. Hulk blood and uh, <laughs> the Hulk falls from space and Titania, this other uh, character that has superpowers, bursts through the wall. And she's like, why is this like battle suddenly happening? Like none of these storylines make sense with each other. And then the episode clicks to the Disney Plus menu, the Marvel vertical <laughs> uh, with the sound and everything. <laughs> and she's like, okay, hold on one second. And she punches out of the She-Hulk icon and looks for a Marvel assembled icon, which is what their behind the scenes features are, swings down, kicks into that, lands in the Disney Burbank studios, walks across the lot, walks into the She-Hulk writer's room 
and is like, what, what the hell are you guys doing? Like, none of this makes any sense. And they're like, well, it's what Kevin wants. She's like, well, I'm going to talk to Kevin. And they're like, well, no one talks to Kevin. She's like, bullshit, I'm doing that right now. So then she goes to the actual Marvel offices where the actual uh, person who mans the desk there has a role. Uh, <laughs> she signs an NDA on an iPad like you do if you enter the Marvel offices and then fights her way down a hallway. That hallway's not actually in the Marvel offices, but so they has a little fight us. with security guards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just a, just a little. It's still a fiction. Um, opens the door to Kevin's office and it turns out Kevin is a robot uh, with a little base Kevin Feige baseball hat built into his design mm. um, that is a acronym that stands for something that uh, it stands for knowledge enhanced visual interconnectivity nexus and basically this robot has been controlling all of the Marvel Universe they're in uh, uh, he, he's in a room with screens uh, showing different he's Marvel the movies from the Matrix yeah, it's the second time the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has decided to do an architect ending, the first one being Loki. This one, though, much <laughs> funnier, as uh, Jen Walters is like, isn't this a legal show? Can I have a final argument? And talks the robot out of doing the quote-unquote, like, all these Marvel shows end the same with a big fight. I don't want to do that. Here's what I want to happen at the end of my show. And the robot lets her have her way, for the most part. Uh, and then we jump back uh, to the place that she left and everything's wrapped up. You know, there's no big fight. There's nothing. Uh, and then Daredevil literally drops out of the sky because she wanted to see Daredevil again. And the end of the episode is a cookout with her yeah, family. Yeah, it's like the end of a Fast and the Furious movie where they all sit around yeah. <laughs> drinking beer and talking. Uh, it was it was it's it was a pleasure to, to watch. It was a, it was relief. I found I could understand if you want like actual dramatic cohesion in this very silly show that this ending would not satisfy, but for a show that is trying to turn everything on its head. I mean, Jessica Gal, the showrunner is a, is a Rick and Morty veteran. It feels she wrote, like she wrote pickle Rick. It feels straight from that playbook on many levels as well. So I don't know this Dave did. What was your verdict on, on She-Hulk? Is this uh top tier, middle tier, bottom tier? I like it. Marvel? I mean, it's been a it's been a great uh, two weeks. I don't want to like rank it against everything else because I think it, it exists so far out of like the other things. This is like a really drawn out character based origin story that has a whole bunch of cameos to distract you. But like, is that life though? Aren't all of our lives just really <laughs> drawn out character origin stories? That character yeah, cameos yeah, yeah. That's like what Tony Gilroy says about uh, Andor. He's like, everything's a prequel where you're all going to die. Like, pay attention mm, to the story. Whoa. That's when the, the um, Star Wars Disney Plus show uh, publicity gets pretty heavy all of a sudden. But, uh, the, like, we had uh, this last week as a finale. And then uh, the week before, we got Werewolf by Night, which is like a 50 minute, like, goofy one shot that has man thing in it. And I think this is these are the edges of the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, that wouldn't would never be shown on film, I don't think, because if you do something like Guardians of the Galaxy and you make that work, I don't think you press that advantage too much uh, to the point that you stop making like blockbuster films. But considering they have to pump out Disney Plus content and it has to be, you know, like <laughs> something unique, uh, I do like that we finally got an actual sitcom uh with this particular tone and um i i think i do think it's a little bit uh justified in itself 
uh, for also being like super expensive, even though it's 20 minutes long, because it has like a fully digital character in, for a lot of it. Uh, but I, I really enjoy that Marvel can go there. If I want to fold it into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think my criteria for what I like in that universe is different. Uh, but just like as a show, I love it as it's the first Marvel show where they predicted how the audience would react to it and got it mostly right, I think. Mm. Because they're like, when she comes out as She-Hulk in the story universe, there's a whole bunch of people that dislike her just for being female. And they pulled actual comments that they got on when announcing the show on like Instagram and Twitter and just put them like straight up into the show. And so uh, they did another thing where they like teased Daredevil was coming and then took an episode off and didn't deliver Daredevil. And at least the Marvel subreddits was like, this is horrible. Why are they doing this? It's like, like we, everybody knows we're just waiting for Daredevil. And I'm like, yes, everybody knows. And the series is going to zig where you think it has to zag because it's a Marvel thing. So I really appreciate that it was able to do that. That being said, I fully appreciate suspect that when She-Hulk does show up on the big screen because it's going to happen uh, it won't be this. It'll be more like Avengers. She'll be there punching people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Mashing. You guys, you, have you guys have intrigued me. I'm going to give it to you. Like, I, Honestly, the, when you told me it was under half an hour, that might have been where you <laughs> really got me. Uh, yeah, I'm always looking for shows that are short uh, to watch. So it's that bluff. might be... There's my one of my favorite things might be this character they added called Madison, which is spelled with a Y, but not where you think. I've heard I've heard about Madison. And Madison is like the subject of one of her legal battles, but also just has like a genuine friendship with Wong from Doctor Strange. They watch The Sopranos together. Yeah, they love The Sopranos. And I love the idea of these like street level characters hanging out with super people. And I wish there were more Marvel shows that had room for that. And I think that's also something that's really cool about She-Hulk. I think the bar for success on She-Hulk was lower than I thought because it was dedicating itself to its premise more than any Marvel show has been before. Because I think a lot of Disney Plus shows thus far have been like, we're going to do a huge surprise or a huge cameo. And these things are all connected and blah, blah, blah. And in this one, it's like, I I was thrilled after the first episode where they confirmed that Captain America didn't die a virgin. That's the corner of the Marvel universe I want to explore more. <laughs> Katie, go I watch. I forgot about that making the news. Go watch She-Hulk. David, go watch Titan. 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 I never did see Titan. You never saw Titan? <laughs> I never did. You haven't seen Tartain. (laughs) Oh, no. Are you John Alton? Shame on you! (laughs) Shame on you for not watching Tartain! I was doing more of a Nick Frost and Odd Fuzz, but sure. Oh, okay. You guys all went from from Southern to British really fast, and it was... And you didn't even notice this wasn't She-Hulk. This is Tartain! Why? (laughs) Real hot girl shit. So here we go. We're doing our mini segment on Halloween ends. Uh, yeah, I have only short. seen one one Halloween movie. It was called Halloween. Uh, I my understanding is that that there's more than Who one be movie Halloween, Halloween. You mean? 
Uh, I've seen Who Be Halloween. The, the first of three movies called Halloween that tell <laughs> um, the story. Of I, I saw the original Halloween. I okay. uh, in nineteen seventy eight. You're old. I, I saw it in 1978. No, I saw it uh, last year. I thought it was fine. And uh, I am a little befuddled as to why, uh, what enduring appeal this franchise continues to have for people so many decades later. Does, uh, can someone explain it to me, one? And two, does the new David Gordon Green movie, Halloween Ends, make good on any of the potential that this long-running franchise may have had at some point? <laughs> that's a lot of questions david that's a lot of questions i feel like your first question is should halloween 1978 ever had a sequel probably not didn't need one um Mm -hmm. the business demands these things so i can't say any movie after halloween was a creative success on some level but yeah but john carpenter and deborah hill are both uh both have been very uh vocal about the fact that they just saw this as checks that they would be able to like pull in john carpenter loves money yeah. Why not? Why not take those checks? Yeah. So the sure. the reason is why it keeps getting uh, returned to or rebooted is checks. The reason why the David Gordon Green trilogy is notable is because it uh, brought back uh, Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode and did the very trendy thing in 2018, which is treat it as trauma. And how does the trauma <laughs> work out? Uh, and it made enough money. They were like, hey, David Gordon Green, not only do we want you to make a sequel, we want you to make two sequels, uh, which then became Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, which I think shows that David Gordon Green realized after making the first one that Michael Myers is not interesting as a character. Because Mm. the reason I like Halloween Ends more than it seems like most people, and Patches I know also likes it and maybe likes it for a different reason, is because it expands to... After that first movie, which is definitely Laurie Strode has a showdown with Michael Myers after, you know, 40 years, uh, it, it kind of stops being about like Michael Myers as a character, which is what Rob Zombie was interested in. And it also stops being about Laurie Strode, I think, uh, after that first movie. And instead, it becomes a movie about how does a town uh, deal with like a mass murder tragedy? Uh, in the worst possible ways. And I think that's what David Gordon Green's trilogy ends up being. Not so much that this is about a slasher or this is about a final girl, but this is about there's one person who is willing to actually confront their trauma and the rest of you just fucking ostracize her and make fun of her and it poisons the entire town. Uh, Is is a town dealing badly with horrible mass murder not something we know way too well from reality and therefore don't need movies about? That's what I think Halloween Ends is about. I think it's like a school shooter movie. At least that's how it played for me. And look, this is okay. Let's let's step back one second here. (laughs) David Gordon Green. I'm a I'm a I'm a devotee. I'm I'm pretty into what DGG. I I will not spoil which, but he makes a cameo in a certain film that is coming out later this year. That will forever change the way that anyone thinks about it. <laughs> I think it's safe. Wow. To say. Okay. Uh, hopefully, continue. I mean, I I want to still be a fan. Hopefully, that is not. No. Too I mean, it, um, it, it will only increase your fandom in some respects, but also you will uh, have a hard time thinking about anything else when you look at him in the future. Oh, I think I've heard about this this uh, bloody role, but I will uh, say I won't no more. Anything? Yeah. No. Neither will I. But um, what a what an interesting career of floating in the beginning from like really human drama and in very low budget 
indie form to jumping to like Pineapple Express and Your Highness and getting in with those the the Apatow crowd and I, I find him to be this kind of and there are not many successors to to Soderbergh not that we need one Soderbergh still mm. he is not retired uh, <laughs> very much not uh, but David Gordon Green always reminds me of Soderbergh who seems up for the challenge of an experiment willing to try something and doesn't mind making like very blunt kind of almost ripped from the headline points even and and maybe that makes the movies less timeless uh they're more drips in the bucket but uh i don't i don't think he cares i think he'd rather make something interesting and and compelling and experimental in the moment uh to see if it works like he doesn't need to hit home runs with every movie he's not that meticulous he'd rather just go out and shoot a movie why did he decide to make two more halloween movies after making a a, this halloween 2018 movie and and in the press being like, eh, that's it. That's we're done. Oh wait, no, suddenly we're making two more. Yes. The money of it all. But I think he found a way to drill deeper into to your di- point, Dave. I don't think David Gordon Green thinks Michael Myers is an interesting character, but I think he finds him to be kind of a haunting presence, a stand in for, for many things that we can't explain in life. Uh, yes. The first movie was very much about Laurie Strode's trauma. And in the second movie, it is about, uh, the mob mentality fighting something that it cannot be fought. It is just death and, and violence and people screaming at each other and trying to brutally beat Michael Myers into submission, but they can't explain him and they can't figure out how to actually solve a Michael Myers problem except through more violence that hurts themselves. And people really did not like Halloween Kills. It is a, gnarly, a gnarlier movie than the 2018. It is just rampant violence. It is... It's almost like I, when I was talking to David Gore Green about this a few years ago, it's like it reminded me of Mad Max Fury Road. It's just like Michael Myers, Michael Myers bulldozing through crowds of people and them them trying to retaliate. It is a very violent movie, uh, and it did not sit well. And this movie is seems to be getting worse reviews somehow. Um, <laughs> and I think the reason is it's just not dumb enough. It is not like I think people. Go into a Halloween movie. To your point, David, why do they kept making these movies and why have they never been good? It's because everyone thinks a Halloween movie should just be like Michael Myers goes and attacks a bunch of new people. It's a horror movie. It's a slasher. Um, and David Gordon Green has never really approached it that way. Michael's role is always changing. He's never just the, the next slasher. In this one, he is this kind of ominous presence. People have compared it a lot to Christine, the Stephen King novel that John Carpenter turned into a movie. Um, and here, this school shooter type, this pariah, Corey, <laughs> I just find that uh, this new character's name is Corey. I, he's just a schmuck. He is the schmuckiest <laughs> schmuck, and he takes up three quarters of the movie's runtime. He is the main character of Ugh. Halloween Ends. We've never met Ugh. him before, and he is a dope who, I mean, he, what's interesting is the beginning of the movie, and I don't think I'm spoiling Are too people going to go with oh, Corey oh. for Halloween? Is Corey going to be the new uh, costume? Would... If you wear uh, like a sweater uh, and some glasses, you are Corey. Oh my Halloween. god, I'm Corey. I'm literally Corey right now. It's definitely what I would have done. It's definitely what I would have done in my 20s when I really didn't like dressing up, but I did want to go party and I'll be like, I'm Corey. Yeah, I'm going to take Corey from Halloween Ends. The movie opens with a murder, obviously. Or not a murder. This is a mini segment, right? I'm getting I have to unpack this. What's interesting about the movie and why people hate it is it's opening with a, a, a kill, but it's an accidental kill. Corey accidentally kills a kid that he's supposed to be babysitting, and it all kind of spirals out from there. Nothing is meeting expectations, and, and nothing is 
the traditional Michael Myers is just killing people. Like Lori's not in it that much because she, at this point in the story, has like dealt with her trauma or thinks she has. Um, and now it is about everyone ostracizing this other kid. And instead of the mob mentality fighting violence, it's what if everyone just being angry and fearing the next killer turns this kid and kind of radicalizes him. Uh, and it's and it's pretty strange. The whole movie is very strange tone, but it kind of brings David Gordon Green back to this peering into suburbia filmmaker from the early 2000s while still matching it with this comedic filmmaker from like the 2010s. Like it's a very dopey slasher at times. One of the great kills, like someone gets their face sliced off and their tongue flops onto a record player. Um, and Katie, you would have loved it. You would have loved it. Um, <laughs> I mean, that so sounds gross. more fun than everything else you've been describing, which just sounds deeply disturbing. It's it's weird. The whole thing is a weirdo movie, and I, I get why people don't like it, but it's a it's a take. It's like doing something, and it's disappointing to see so many people kind of shrug off or, or or their expectations are getting in the way of just watching. I told you before the podcast, you could watch this movie and not know anything else about the whole Halloween franchise. And I think you'd enjoy it because Corey is back, I definitely baby. would not enjoy it. I would not enjoy it. There's no way. <laughs> but Dave, you so liked it too. unpleasant. Yeah, I, I like it. I, I, I agree that it's weird. I'm glad they tried something. If people want to see real aimless weirdness applied to this franchise, like Halloween 5 and Halloween 6 exist. So we know what a bad version of this looks like. I don't think this is it. Uh, I see why people are like uh, weirded out by it. If I were <laughs> to make this movie, I would maybe not have another showdown with Laurie Strode and Michael Myers, but it kind of needs to happen. So I understand uh, why it's there. But I think as a trilogy capper, it really puts the other two movies into focus. And I think all three movies together are a worthy installment in the Halloween franchise in the sense that what we learned after 40 years is no one cares about Michael Myers. Like, I don't. Uh, you shouldn't. Uh, it's, it's, it's evil versus uh, can you resist evil as a, a normal person? And it's a good question. There's this movie, like, two-thirds of the way through this movie, I'm like, this is Uvalde, Texas, but it's just Haddonfield, wow. Wow. Illinois. And, and to loop yeah, all the way back... I don't want to watch... Yeah, no, that's a bad sell. Uh, to loop all the way back and end the segment on, on your question, David, like, what's the point of making all these Halloween movies? The one pro of having a franchise that has just iterated for so, so many years and done really bad sequels for most of the time is that a guy like David Gordon Green can just totally experiment and make kind of minor movies that play on Peacock, um, but they're interesting and they're worth watching. And the, the, It sounds the like what you were, we were saying about She-Hulk, about having something that is small within a larger existing franchise. Yeah, and, and the franchise itself will bring a legacy to these movies, even if the movies themselves won't. So um, I'm excited to see if someone else tries to figure out what to do with a Halloween in the future, but obviously it's never been necessary, but it's still carrying these movies forward, and I'm, I'm glad they exist. And David Gordon Green is off to an Exorcist trilogy. Dear Lord. Oh, God, right. I just rewatched The Exorcist. Maybe we'll talk about that at some point. It, it, oh. it, it made me this wonder the why the entire cinematic universe exists around that. Uh, maybe that is a topic for another day. I'm about to end this man's whole career. 
if we yeah. just hold tar until next week? Mm-hmm. We've been you want to end the for, podcast? We've been recording for 50 minutes. You guys haven't talked minutes. anything. No, you got to talk about tar. Stop. No, oh we can God. save tar for uh, having, you know. You guys didn't talk. This is your big a, moment. It's such a good movie. I feel like it. I don't like yeah. the three of you have seen it, haven't you? I mean, if yeah. you're feeling tired or you would like to make sure we get all of Tar in. The woman's got that, COVID. I, also really like I gotta write about the school. <laughs> no, she doesn't have COVID. Evil. Wait, she That's doesn't true. have COVID? I did. I did. No, I tested negative. She had oh, COVID. Oh. I recant asking how As of today, I am COVID free. <laughs> it do, it, it's gone back to normal. I would not, not have talked as much as if I thought you guys would. Uh... <laughs> no, I don't. But like, I enjoyed. Part three. Halloween ends part two. Katie <laughs> and gone. <laughs> I enjoyed back. talking about all of this. I just am like realizing that we've gone long and like Tar is a really meaty yeah, it's movie mostly, to talk about. And like maybe my, my next week patches. talking about Diane Warren, but we can save Tar I, for next week. I feel I like also... people like people like. Should we leave this in? <laughs> so no, I mean, Tar segment. It's so we either like leave it in this or we like really. Quick. All right, this is the third segment. Is David telling the... us about the new Netflix movie? How's it's the uh, Paul Feig? How's the new Paul Feig? This is that. This is that meta. I'm gonna go talk to the David robot. Uh, who's wearing <laughs> sweater and a glass and bare glasses, like Corey? Uh, what else is coming out? Movie? Yeah, it's coming yeah, out. Tell tomorrow. us about something uh, new. By, by the time, by the time you guys are listening, this, no, this, this is, is a Wednesday, dumbass. What's that? It's Wednesday. It's it's Wednesday. Uh, it's October nineteenth, David Earl's birthday. We are recording this. By the time you listen to this, if you let me finish that sentence, you fool, <laughs> you foolish like child. You're already thirty-five, like a little baby. What are you? It's embarrassing. Are you quoting Natiri um, from Avatar right now? <laughs> no, not, not deliberately. I haven't been back to Pandora in so long, Katie. Um, I, I wish I could do that. Uh, no, it comes out, uh, comes out. it's out by the time you listen to this. It's called The School for Good and Evil. It is a Paul Feig movie. It is uh, far and away the least funny thing he's ever made. And that definitely includes the Ghostbusters remake, believe it or not. Um, oh, or a sequel. Yikes. I guess we don't call it a remake. Remake is funny. Uh, is it? Um, yeah. But uh, Hemsworth is funny in that. Don't forget patches. It had women in it. Can it be funny? It's Think true. about it. Um, the uh, it, it is an adaptation of a very popular YA series that I have obviously never heard of, uh, and it stars a lot, a lot, a lot of people. It is definitely a big swing for Netflix. They spent a lot of money on the hopes that it'll become a big YA franchise for them. It stars. Uh, I mean, its main stars these two young women named Sophia Wiley and Sophia and Caruso, but it also stars. Uh, Charlize Theron in full-on Mad Hatter mode. You've got Carrie Washington as a demented Whoa. princess type. You've got Michelle Yeoh in a two-scene role. You have Lawrence Fishburne as the as Dumbledore of the school, effectively. Wikipedia tells me that Ben Kingsley and Patty LaPone are in this movie. I did not see them, but who knows? Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett, Kate Blanchett narrates it. She does all the exposition. Uh, Rob Delaney is in one shot in the beginning of the movie and has one line of ADR. Uh, Rachel Bloom, I don't know if I'd recognize her. I'm certainly familiar with her work. Uh, don't remember seeing her. She could have been someone. I don't know. There's a lot of nonsense in this movie. It's essentially <laughs> like what if Harry Potter meets like Riverdale uh, to the point where every scene is just a collection of like random <laughs> plastic looking stuff. And I was like, why are they at school? What are they hoping to accomplish? Why is it set into a good school and an evil school? Why is the balance of the universe dependent on the, the <laughs> fucking class rosters of these schools? This sounds like so many Harry Potter novels. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess the general idea, which they don't really explain well in the movie at any point, even though it is the founding principle of this entire series, is that the students in the school are, are there to... Uh, uh, like if they they're there to train 
to live the fairy tales that will eventually seep down into our cultures that we'll be telling each other for hundreds of years to come. And so some of the main girls' classmates include Prince Charming, whose last name is Charming, and he is literally the son of the king, but is otherwise a dweeb, uh, and the like King Arthur's son, and like the Sheriff of Nottingham's daughter, and oh, I don't know why. I mean, it's the- not that Disney Channel show, Descendants, where it's all like the kids but, of the Disney villains. But what's strange or is that- Once Upon a Time, but just with like oh, the yeah. IP that is yeah. the but, IP that but, is yeah, but it's all, free for but everybody. The thing is, it's all uh, public domain. I mean, like all these characters have one thing in common, which is that they belong to the public domain. Um, oh, is Winnie and- the Pooh there now? Yeah. It's basically Space Jam, a new <laughs> legacy, whatever. And uh, all the droogs are there from a clock orange. <laughs> I don't know why. It's Charlie McDowell, Malcolm McDowell's son. He's one of the characters. Uh, I'm kidding. But uh, the um, uh, what is weird about it is that the whole thing is that like it's not about the lineage of these characters that determine why they're there. It's essentially Lawrence Fishburne, Fishburne just like sensing who is going to be worthy of the school. And yet, as I just explained, all the characters are the sons and daughters of famous literary characters, which doesn't really make any sense. Uh, but the idea is that the muggles are readers because we have no choice but to simply read about these great adventures that these characters are going to be going on. Right. Um, and it turns out that people are more than meets the eye and the people that get sorted into the evil school have some good in them. The people who are sort of really good school have some evil in them. And that, look, you know, it's, it's not possible to determine morality based on looks, uh, which is a common misconception in our society. You may they're, all uh, they're all Corey. They're all Corey's. I I am told that Polygon.com is running a positive review of this movie. Uh, but why I have assessed 26-year-old is how Matt Patch has described the writer. Um, I, in, in watching this, I... I almost wanted to like open my review with a disclaimer that's just like, I am not the target audience for this. I do think that there are people uh, who are more into hard fantasy YA um, and especially like tween age audiences uh, who might enjoy what this movie has to offer. Yeah, do you think I, it's kid friendly? I mean, it's like, it's definitely aimed at like 12 some... or 13 year olds, but it's definitely okay, a YA like, movie. I'm thinking, okay, I was thinking about Charlie who like likes watching like, live action stuff sometimes like we showed him the princess bride recently but it sounds like wow. this is maybe I mean, not if, he, if you like the princess bride it's possible like this is essentially just like a much uglier cgi heavy version of that but it's a <laughs> yeah but kids these days like that kind of thing you know yeah i mean it has big it has big uh alice in wonderland like the tim burton movie vibes um, well, it's produced extends, by Joe Roth, it looks like. Who, right, who and that, that extends this a lot further thing. than just uh, Charlie Theron's Mad Hatter getup. Uh, but um, how did she dare do this movie and The Huntsman? I know. You know it, was, war. it was lockdown. Uh, people were desperate. <laughs> they were shooting in a, you know, a remote place in Belfast. Uh, it's 148 minutes long, and... It feels Whoa, like yeah, and it feels like Lawrence of Arabia. I swear to God, I have. <laughs> it took me like three days to watch this movie. I just could not believe how much was happening and how little of it was gaining momentum. Um, Why is Paul Feig making? This or the the heart transplant Christmas movie, which I think is the last one. No, that, that, oh director. yeah, yeah, no, he did do I that. I guess so. And Michelle Yeoh is doing a, does a very small role in this His movie job. because they got along well when they were making that one. Oh, uh, right. But oh, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he mentions in the press notes uh, that he 
this is way out of his comfort zone, but, and he was not initially inclined to do it, but he read the script and he liked it and it was a job and blah, blah, blah. You're saying he was probably right. Uh, yeah, it's very far out of his comfort zone. It feels that way. But it's also just like, I understand that it's aimed at a younger audience. I don't think that, and I say this as someone who sees, you know, has to see kids' movies professionally, is starting to watch more kids' movies with my child and know from experience that I can laugh at them when they're funny. There is not a single bit of humor that connects in this movie which can make that runtime mm. uh yeah. pretty brutal i did like some of the creature design um it, it it does air in a slightly more like like violent direction than i have come to expect from like a harry potter ripoff uh there's a giant bird made out of bones that transports the kids to school um that was pretty cool there's a lot of blood magic which mostly looks shitty but sometimes so there's a dragon, like a literal dragon girl with a dragon tattoo whose dragon crawls out of the tattoo and flies around the classroom. Um, that, remember, that story is not in the public domain. How did yeah. that come from? Yeah, I, I mean, that, that I don't know where that's coming from. I don't think they're all sourced in uh, in folklore. Wait, just to clarify, the movie is called The School for, for Good and Evil. So that's are right. there good and evil Students, mm. so as yeah, I yeah, they get separated into good and evil. I've been listening to their yeah. Reviews. I mean, okay. I was gonna say as I thought <laughs> I, I, I explained more clearly than the sorry, movie ever sorry. did. Uh, there are essentially two it's coming separate, at me really fast. There are two separate wings in this same academy. I see, I see. Uh, the students are divided into good and evil. Our two heroines. Corey is in the evil side. Of Agatha course, is Corey is definitely in the evil side. Uh, Agatha, who is like. I mean, this gets complicated. But from WandaVision. <laughs> oh my God. Agatha from WandaVision is, uh, everyone thinks that she's a witch and she is placed, you know, what would seem mistakenly in the good school. Whereas Sophie, who is sort of the prototypical fairy tale princess, certainly that's what she aspires to be, is placed in the evil school uh, and is determined to undo this mistake. But there are no accidents, as Carol and Lawrence Fishburne in this movie would say. Uh, and, uh, and it turns out that me Lydia Tar. So. Yeah. Um, and it's all about that. It's spectacular and interesting to me. Uh, I did like the scene, spoiler alert, where Dweeby Prince Charming is literally vaporized, never to return. <laughs> but, um, that's, wow. Uh, Support it. Uh, but I have a question uh, yeah. for Dave, actually. Uh, Dave is someone who I think, uh, in terms of people I know, has been most committed to erasing Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling from your media diet. Mm -hmm. Is there a need for a Harry Potter replacement, like a methadone uh, for people who feel like they can't support that wizarding world anymore? Or should everyone just move on to something that is like slightly more original because there are other stories out there? Uh, no, I think there's a need for the the boarding school fantasy thing. Uh, whether or this needs to be it or the book source material was already an alternative to it, I'm a little unclear on. Uh, but it would be fun if uh, there was a way to bury Harry Potter further. Uh, I think especially with a lot of what the politics in America are doing right now, trying to basically erase trans people from the conversation, uh, now is not the time to give in to bad ideas because you like previous fiction that was maybe too long. So I'm all, I'm taking all comers for the, the, the next to get to the top of the pile of this very specific subgenre. I used to care about if Harry and Cho Chang would get together. I know what it's like to get that involved in your fiction. And so uh, maybe this is going to be that for somebody else. I think, you know, if at this point we might be starting to get to some kids whose parents were able to sidestep Harry Potter for them and they need something to fill that void. So why not the school of good and evil? 
I haven't seen it. It sounds <laughs> harmless. I think maybe like the canon of boarding school fantasy stories that are better than this, but not Harry Potter. Maybe we can work on putting that together. Oh, yeah, I think it'd be great. Well, also, it's like this is just the first one. If we're measuring this against the Sorcerer's Stone, mm. I bet it's just fine. Uh, Harry Potter, you know, matures into itself as movies and as books. So, uh, yeah, get them started. Bring, bring me back for the school to good and evil or whatever they're going to call it. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to show this to Charlie. I feel like we can do other things. <laughs> That does it for this week's show. Uh, next week, we'll talk about Tar. Allegedly. Yeah. We're going to do a fr- one whole episode of Tar. Tar we episode. We won't somehow spend 20 minutes talking about Corey next time, we think. And uh, Black Adam. Don't forget we, our boy. Well, oh, I mean, yeah. maybe we might spend a full hour on Black Adam, and then we'll have to push Tar another week. Well, we'll, <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches, Deputy Editor at Polygon. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm on R Conservative, apparently. Um, <laughs> and uh, we have a website, fightingintheworm.com, where you can listen to, to old episodes. We've definitely talked about most Marvel things before. We've definitely talked about the David Gordon Green Halloween movies. I, I have to assume this can't be the first time. Um, and we we have not talked about Tar, so you should watch out for fightingintheworm.com for when we eventually talk about Tar. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, David Ehrlich. Uh, you can find me on IndieWire, where I reviewed a, uh, I wrote a review of Black Adam that was universally well received, it would seem, based on earlier segments of this episode. <laughs> um, and you can find all of us together on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. Go on Fighting in the War Room on iTunes. Leave us a review. We'll read it live on this show. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E, where you could hear about uh, how Neil Miller and I went for two and a half hours this week talking about Halloween and the fantasy shows on our Patreon podcast, patreon.com slash DA7E. And Neil, uh, $1 you could hear that, or don't, whatever. Fighting in the War Room's free. I love all of you guys. I'm also on Trial by Content and producing the Still Watching House of the Dragon podcast, which means next week Dave's going to be very tired. As we wrap that up, uh, barreling towards Halloween. Uh, but you can email us about any of those topics. Uh, school for good and evil. Maybe you have a child in your life that is very happy to see the, their book series adapted to a Netflix movie. At fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. I have my Black Adam ticket to, so we can talk about it next week. And while I was buying it, I almost just bought a second ticket for TAR, so come back next week. Wow. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. I'm not seeing Black Adam. Can't make me. I'll just watch Moana again as my rock content. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Vanity Fair on the Little Gold Men podcast uh, where... What are we talking about this week? I recorded that episode today. We talked about m- movies like The Banshees of Anna Sharon, which we'll get to on this show at some point because it's great. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where I would truly love to hear from anyone who ha- who is or whose kids are attached to the School of Good and Evil. I'm very curious about what this cultural footprint is. Oh, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was? In honor of Black Adam, what was the previous, what was previously the biggest time when the hierarchy of power in the DC universe <laughs> changed? 
can't believe we did that. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. I'm done. I'm done. We're done.